Hello, and welcome to episode 47 of the Carrier's Ooh. Edge podcast. I've been instructed to do the opening properly today, so I'm making sure that I say all the right things, say all the things I'm supposed to say. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Mark Morrell, co-founder of Carrier's Edge, and joining me for a surprise on today's podcast <laughs> is Jane Jazarawi, co-founder of Carrier's Edge. Blah, blah. At Carrier's See, Edge. you can't even do your part. I have been sick, so. Uh, okay. You do have an excuse. You've I been do. Sick. And that's why I have this lovely, sexy, gravelly voice. Not sick with COVID-19. No, I have, I have the, um, I have a chest infection. Mm-hmm. So, yay me. Tell us about the fun with that chest infection. I have asthma. I have an underlying condition. I've had, I've had it since I was a kid, so... Um, stress tends to bring out the, uh, chest infections and pneumonia and all that stuff in me naturally. So, hey, presto, freaked out by COVID-19 because if you have an underlying lung infection, it's very dangerous. So therefore I get a chest infection and just to spite you, because I know (laughs) I just, it's only because you kept telling me I was fine. That I, I had to get an actual chest infection. Such is uh, the nature of our relationship that Jane that, gets yeah. sick to spite me. Mm-hmm. Or in your head anyway. So anyway, that's the that's the big news is that I'm sick but not with COVID-19. That you won that round. You actually got sick. So if I do cough, then that's why. Well, and I'll, I'll why edit my, that out. That's why my voice is gravelly. That but I can't that's, fix. But that is not what we were going to talk about today. No, I just asked you to talk about that because I wanted to make some adjustments to levels. I know. So, you weren't even listening. I listened. I've heard it before, so yeah. it's not really you've, news you, to me. Well, you've lived it, so. Yeah. <laughs> and you had to run to the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. And as you, you have been very good this COVID-19 holiday. Uh, holiday. I know. <laughs> this uh, COVID tide. Yeah. And uh, you've been doing all the groceries and all the pharmacy runs because... As previously stated, I have an underlying condition, which freaks me out. So mm-hmm. all that. And then you get into all that mental health revolving around the virus. I mean, it's not just me who's stressed. Everybody's stressed. Yeah. And like, and I don't even have to go outside. So, um, you know, you think about all of the people who do have to work and the people who have to work on the front lines and how stressed they must be. Yeah. I can't even imagine because although I find that the 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 less control that I have over a situation, the more stressed I am about it. So mm. the people who are on the front lines are doing certain things to protect themselves and they are and they are active, like they're actively doing something. So I can see in that position, if it was me, I would probably feel like I had a little bit more control, but sort of. Well, there's also that element of familiarity with something. It's yeah. really unsettling when it's new or it's unfamiliar situation and you're not sure what's going on. But if you're there in the front line and you see these changes being made on a day-to-day basis, like the grocery store people who started with one set of rules and they changed it and they had more things each day and now they've got this whole rigid routine and they're behind plastic and they probably feel pretty comfortable about what they're doing because they've seen all of that stuff change and they are also familiar with the the terrain that they're working in. 
So yeah. that's I mean, it's not saying it. that, you know, it's everybody who's on the front lines is fine. That's not what I'm saying at all. I mean, it must be horrendously stressful. But there is an also there's another kind of stress where you can't see the front lines and yeah. you don't know what's going on. And that tends to be my where my stress comes in. If something is actually happening, I have no stress. I just do stuff. Yeah. As soon as I'm just thinking about the possibility, that's where my stress comes in. Well, and another part of it is context or frame of reference. So you're staying home, you're doing all the things you're supposed to do, but if you go for a walk and you maybe brush by somebody and you're five feet away from them instead of six feet, you're like, oh my God, did we get sick? Because you don't really have a frame of reference that, no, that's not really the issue. You know, it's only when you go out into the public and see other things that people are doing that you start to understand why it's still spreading and the kind of things that actually are a problem. And then from that, you can see, oh, what I'm doing really isn't much of a risk. Relatively speaking, it's not really much of a risk what I'm doing. So, yeah, it's good to sort of follow all the rules, but it can be stressful when you don't have that context to see where your actions fit into the continuum of all of the possible actions and what risk they present. So I can see why that's a little bit stressful for people as well. But anyway, let's not talk about this. On more positive news, it is approaching the middle of May. I guess by the time this comes out, it will be the middle of May. The weather is getting better. Our pool is open. Nothing matters in the world. Everything is right with the world. And uh, for any... Americans who may be listening, this weekend is a special one in Canada. It is the May 2-4 weekend, mm-hmm. which doesn't always fall on the 24th. But we, does. Yeah, it's like the third week of May and the actual holiday is, is it Victoria? No. Victoria, Victoria Day. Day. And Victoria Day, because we are part of the Commonwealth and and Queen Victoria, etc. But May 2-4 is really referring to... The beer that you would drink. While camping. Yes. The yes. 24 pack of beer. I don't know. Do, do Americans have two fours? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Is it a thing? I don't know if they call it a two four. Yeah. Well, when we were younger. A box you know, of beer. Our Gen X version of teenagehood, a two four was a, you know, 24 bottles of beer in a box. And that's what you had. You got one for the weekend. You got a two four. Or if you were a big drinker, you got a couple of two fours. Yeah put them in the back of your truck and went and camped. Yeah. And the weather is always terrible. That's the thing. It's always like this first weekend of summer and everybody's celebrating and going, I need to go outside and do stuff. And sometimes there's fireworks and things, but the weather's always terrible. Oh yeah. May 2-4, you might get one nice day, but then it's going to rain. And same thing this weekend, it's going to have one nice day and then two crappy days. Which is fine because we're not going anywhere. Yeah. So for the nice day, we'll be outside. For I'm the scarred, crappy days, we'll be inside. Scarred by my younger oh years. Oh my God. I keep camping. hearing about Mark's camping escapades with his friends. It was friends. always cold and rainy. And we never had a tent that actually closed properly. So the water would not only <laughs> leak in through the roof, but would sort of run in through the uh, front opening. So you wake up in cold water, hungover, of course, because of ill adventures the night before. And cold but at the same time uh it's hot because you sleep in too late so the sun you know when it's a good day the sun bakes you and makes you worse or it's not a good day and yeah you're freezing but either way you're getting eaten by bugs yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. And black flies. So these aren't the bugs. Ontario cottage country or they're like camping the areas where you camp in May. It's the season for black flies, which are those flies that just they don't sting you. They actually take chunks out of you. So people are would walk around with bleeding necks because (laughs) people have been bitten by black flies. So that's another fun Uh, time. And so just to contrast Mark's uh, experience now, I, too, went camping when I was a teenager and or in my 20s and did go camping on the 2-4 weekend. And uh, not that much, though. It wasn't a thing. But my parents were immigrants, so they came from England. And I was born here, but they were, uh, they moved over here. And neither of them camped because um, my mother is from, or my mother's family never did it. It's not a thing in England, Mm. really. Like, I think you can. I think it is a bit, but it's not like it is here. And, um, And my dad, you know, never really did it. So we never really did it when we were growing up. And if we did any kind of, road trip it was to a cabin like we definitely mm. got all the amenities and stuff like that we're not Spoiler we're not biscuit. roughing it in the bush it's uh and in ontario well, and in canada there's a lot of that with people who are more who have have grown who have more generations behind them here mm. uh not uh, not us and and mark and i were actually talking about this last night about all of the things that we hated during our childhood in terms of different foods that we were uh, forced to eat by our parents that we didn't really want to. In the days before, you know, food preferences were an issue and you got what you got and you ate it or you got hungry. So yeah. like, that was it. But um, the kids in today England, just don't understand. Yeah, I was telling Mark about how grilled cheese sandwiches really weren't a thing in my house because in England they don't they didn't really have grilled cheese sandwiches. And in the seventies, when I lived there, I don't remember anybody really talking about grilled cheese sandwiches. So my mother always used to make toasted cheese sandwiches in the oven and I hated them until I think I was in grade seven or something like, I was like 13 and uh, 12 or 13. And someone did it in a frying pan. I was like, Oh, this is really good. <laughs> and French toast. Also something that we never had we had pancakes all the time, mm. but we never had French toast. I didn't learn how to make French toast until, again, I was, you know, in my early teens mm. or maybe in middle school, like that kind of age where I go to other people's houses and see what they did. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's weird. So I don't know how big French toast was in your family, but it was not in mine. It was a normal thing you have once in a yeah, while. Yeah, you don't. We just never did. Wow. No, if you we were having eggs, they were boiled eggs and we had them in egg cups. Oh, yeah. That's very British. Yes. And you have soft boiled eggs so you could have dunk toast. toast in it. No, you'd have toast cut up into four mm-hmm. and then you would dunk that toast into, oh, what were they called? Fingers. So, no, they weren't. I think they were, we called them fingers? Or fingers. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Yeah. Toast soldiers or toast fingers. Yeah. And that was a big deal. I like that. But we always had egg cups. Egg cups have disappeared. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, I don't know. Eggs, there's so many. I think we tried doing that one time. Yeah. Doing something like that. It was probably for Easter and we were trying to paint the eggs and we were looking for an egg cup and best we could find was shot glasses. 
Yeah. Which are about the same size. Man, we're great parents. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the shot glasses were packed away and they were dusty and they had been given to us as a gift. We don't never consume such things. Well, we didn't really, we don't really. Yeah, shots are really not a thing. But I think in my younger years, in my younger years, that was more of a thing, but not, not now, not for a long time. But uh, anyway, that was... Any um, other parts of your biography you want to touch on here before we get to the actual podcast? Well, you haven't told me what we're actually talking about. So I was trying to have a conversation other than COVID-19. Ah, okay. So well, I haven't really figured it out because... You got really distracted by a meeting we just had. Yeah, a meeting we just had and having some technical issues. Uh, so we've had technical issues with PCs over the last week or so. Well, not PCs with our Macs. Yeah, with our computers. So I am, I think I'm two for two on crapping out my Mac. You have a hundred percent track record yeah. of breaking every Mac. My logic have. board, and it was a lot, the latest was my logic board. And I don't know what it is that I do to my computers. It's not just a Mac. It doesn't happen to yeah, be. Yeah, it happens on PCs ha- as yeah. well. You can wreck every machine that you Yeah, have. actually PCs will go quicker. Yeah, you must give off some kind of electrical signal or something. I've always thought that because it works actually in a more positive manner with photocopiers. Hmm. I am great with photocopiers and printers and all of that stuff like that. Often I just have to sort of be there and things start working. But a computer, I guess that sort of that intense life force that I have. <laughs> That's what it is. Yes. It just overwhelms too much. a computer. But I did learn an important lesson. So we have focused a lot on having backups. So we all have uh, backup drives uh, connected to our machines and we set them for continuous backup. So everything that we do is always replicated across a, a bunch of different drives Uh, So we've got that. Mm -hmm. And I recently added an online backup service as well. So that in the event that the house burns down or there's a flood or some ransomware thing hits and locks up our backup drives, we've got offsite backup through this cloud, this online system. So we're well set in terms of uh, backing up the data. But what we didn't really have covered well is what happens when your machine goes down. And so Jane's machine went down, which you'd think by now I would be getting used to. Uh, I, I expected enough that I get the extended warranty on it. With Jane's machines, extended warranty is a good purchase, uh, as I learned. <laughs> it, was, it will always pay uh, off. 200 bucks for the uh, extended Apple Care is gonna much stop. better than the $900 for a new logic board. They're going to stop letting me buy it at this rate. I'm yeah. going to be like a, an insurance risk. So we realize that we need a spare and we have one spare machine which is the one that uh, i use in my studio for recording but it's kind of old it's good for recording because we don't really do a lot of complicated stuff with that uh it doesn't need to be a high-powered machine but it is not suitable for day-to-day work and it's not really up to date on things so we had to get a spare machine so now this is my mission in the company is to have spare machines available so that nobody is down for a day because their their PC craps out or their Mac dies or whatever. Yeah. So I've got to figure out how to do that. Backups for everybody and spare machines available as well. Well, we got a new spare machine, which is good. Yeah. So we went and bought a spare machine. Not a great time to be ordering uh, computers. No. <laughs> so normally I have a particular configuration that I would like to use for these, but 
Yeah, that would be like a month and a half wait to get that. So that's not really going to work for us. So Uh I got the kind of best low end backup machine that I could get uh, from Apple and have delivered in about three days. So we got that. When was that last week, I guess? Yeah. And it's uh, It's it's been working working out quite nice. It's nice. A brand new machine is always nice. Even if yeah. it's a fairly low end machine, it's pretty nice. Yeah, and it's you know my laptop is it gets used pretty good. It's, yeah, uh, I'm not even putting on my files on this machine on my backup machine. It's just staying in the backup. I'll restore everything, or actually, I won't need to because it'll all be there. It was a logic board. It wasn't the hard drive. Assuming that the hard drive isn't soldered onto the logic board, well, which I don't think it is. Even if it is, I have I can, we can just restore. restore. Yeah. That's fine. But after all of it, and this is because of all of that stuff that we were doing with cybersecurity, <laughs> we're getting very heightened awareness of yes. of the issues. Now we're panicked and paranoid about everything. Yeah, well. But we're going to be set with spare machines and the all number the of messages. The number of messages that we get, which are, you know, from either one of us to our staff that are actually not from us, but they're from someone else, some Gmail account saying, quick, send me this. Yeah. It's become something of an internal uh, game now, like a sort of an ongoing activity that staff, whenever they receive one of these garbage messages, always forwards it to the rest of the staff. And it's like, hey, look what I got today. Yeah. So yeah, and then there's you get more a, and more of those bogus messages. And you there. get a couple of other ones going, oh yeah, I got that one too. Yeah. Yeah. Our staff is really good for forwarding things to us that they don't, they think are weird. Yeah. Because we also, people who are using these tactics don't ever have any clue what we would normally do. So it's never anything we would normally do. You know, like, quick, call me at my number. Like, I never call anybody. Yeah. Well, I did read an article one time that pointed out that the typos and some of the bad grammar and stuff that they have in those messages is actually intentional. That they do that. Uh, because they want to target a very specific segment. They want to target the most unsophisticated uh, part of the population. And the people that look at those messages and see that there's typos or garbage in the uh, garbage characters in the subject line or the bad grammar and things that don't make sense, those people are not going to fall for the scam anyway. So the scammers actually want to cut those people out of the process. So they only want to target people that are dumb enough to fall for their scam. And so the thinking is if you're kind of dumb enough or unsophisticated enough or lazy enough to look at this message and not see an issue with it, then you're probably ripe. You're a good prospect for them. So that's why they do some of that. Oh my God. You read this recently? Uh, This was actually a few years ago, back when like the spam, when email spam was much more of an issue before email systems learned how to block it all out. Yeah. And there's all of those things and they would have like a subject line to try and grab you, but then they would have a bunch of weird numbers at the end of it. And then there would be obvious typos in the body of the message, things like that. And I thought like, why don't they fix that stuff? It's so clearly a fake. Well, it's like that intentionally because they want to filter out people like me and uh, focus on the people that don't see an issue with that. So I don't know what the advantage to that would be. But anyway, let's not talk about cybersecurity either. Okay. Or did you want to? No. We talked about that I, a lot. I found that very interesting, that they are trying to filter their target set so that they only focus on the people that are likely to be candidates for them. 
Hmm. You want to exclude people that are not going to be a prospect right. for you. I understand that. I'm just trying to think of, is that still happening? Because I wonder about that. I get lots of, I think they just target people differently now. So if they think you're at a certain level, they'll give you, they'll send you spam that is trying to get you at that level. Whereas. Yeah. But at the same time, they do want to target people. That same mindset is at work because they want to target those sort of people because if you're in a company that falls for that kind of thing, it means you're not really well trained and it probably means that the systems aren't very well secured. You're Ah. going to be a richer target for them. You're a better prospect. So Ah. that's how they look at it. That is good. The people that don't fall for that probably have hardened systems and trained staff and they're not going to be a good candidate for a hack. I see. Interesting. Yes. So now what else have we been doing aside from cursing broken machines and, um, and being and sick? Being sick. Yeah. Um, so you've well, had an interesting experience in the last week or so on the drug and alcohol topic. Yes. I, well, so Chrissy is doing the writing the course and she's developing it and stuff like that. But one of the things that we kept coming up against was the rules around how long this thing has got to be. Ah, yes. The infamous 60 and 60. The 60 minutes of alcohol training and 60 minutes of drug use training. And also you have to have, for reasonable suspicion anyway, you have to have um, the signs and symptoms of, of both of those things. But that's it for the regulation. It is It is the most... It's the most broad and yet specific regulation ever. Well, also there's a requirement that there's somebody in the company that you go to for questions. But there's no training requirements yeah, for them. No indication of what, what qualifies that person no, or just what a they're person. supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Who's supposed to. Yeah. So that's very vague. So we ended up going back and forth about, you know, should we make the courses longer to cover 60 minutes and 60 minutes of just alcohol and drug content and then add all the other stuff and on then top. add the yeah and then add the other stuff on top which seems like a really a lot of that's a lot and, well, and also, that makes it, it for a very long course especially online it kind of makes sense in the context of classroom where you can spend an hour doing exercises and scenarios and things like that and that time goes by a lot more quickly but you move that online inevitably it takes less to cover the content. So, And also the thing is when you're doing it in a classroom, that 60 and 60 is not a, not a huge thing. You can still do it in a, in a morning. Yeah. Like it's a half day day session. Okay. We can do that and we can cover, you know, you can cover quickly the process and stuff like that. And if there are questions, then, you know, there's lots of time for that. And you could go to like two o'clock if you wanted to. And, you know, have like a four or five hour session and that would be fine. But when you go to online and you don't have the ability to have discussions and it's, you know, 60 minutes of online content is very, very, because what happens with online content, it is very, what do you call it when it's made small? Condensed. Condensed. Thank you. There's a lot of condensation. (laughs) Condensing of the content. Yeah. And so... An hour of online content is going to be, yeah, compressing is a better word, is going to be like two and a half hours of a classroom because you don't have the, 
you've already decided what wording you're going to use. There's no questions. There's no sidebars. You know, when people try and take you off topic, you don't have any of that. You don't have the classroom management part of it, or you don't have the interactivity part of it, which takes up time. Mm -hmm. Like even when you're just introducing a new topic, that can be 10 minutes. And whereas Mm -hmm. in an online format, that can take one minute. Yeah, 30 seconds, If it, depending on how fancy you want to make it. And so the regulations were written when it was only classroom training that was available. Mm-hmm. And now there's this online, and no one's updated it, but there's this online thing. So I eventually um, used my contacts at the TCA, who used their contacts with the FMCSA, mm-hmm. to get me an answer, which was really nice. So now we have an answer in writing about... The yeah, fact that you can answer. that you can combine the testing process with the in that sixty sixty, mm. which is makes it so much easier. That uh, so you don't have to you know try and figure out how much content you're you know how much bizarre thing about alcohol abuse that you want to add in, except for the major stuff. You really want to put the major stuff in, but how detailed do you want to get? And people don't. That's not. It's not the place. Yeah. So. And the other point about that is that I think is interesting is that they keep adding to the drug testing rule, not the alcohol so much, but drug testing, like now you have the clearinghouse. (laughs) So that is an hour worth of training just by itself. And that's not even training on how to log in and manage the system. That's just training on what it is and why you should do it and who's supposed to do it and when you're supposed to do it. Now, all of that is half an hour to an hour of online training. So you could spend two or three hours in a classroom just talking about the clearinghouse. Yeah. So you've added that, but you still have, and reasonable suspicion involves the clearinghouse. So where are the regulations on that? <laughs> and it really is annoying because they won't update those regulations and make them clearer, but they'll certainly update you know, all the regulations around it which is mm-hmm. annoying. And, uh, but anyway, we figured it out. So now you've got a definitive answer and we so do. you've got a plan for an overhaul drug and alcohol course. Yeah. Well, it's in process, right? It wasn't like we stopped writing it. it you know, we were developing content, uh, as it was going on and I'm in the middle of reviewing the drug and alcohol overview course, which is really nice because it updates so much stuff. Like, what we used to refer to as alcoholism is not referred to that as any, like that's not how you talk about it anymore. Mm. It is actually now called alcohol use disorder. So they are making it more of a medical, medical term rather than how previously it was talked about where it was more of a, People used to think, you know, back in the day that it was more of a choice. Yeah, it was more of a behavior thing. Yeah. And as time has gone on and we realized that, you know, society has realized that alcoholism is, is not something that really is controllable. So it comes into the um, the whole disorder category, which to get really technical, there's a medical thing called the DSM which is like a list of all of the things that you can have. And I know about this DSM because it also involves autism, which 
I learned about it when I was learning more about autism. I found out about this, and it was the DSM-4 at the time. It was the fourth version, and there was a whole big thing about what was going to change between DSM-4 to DSM-5, and I guess somewhere in there, alcohol use disorder got added to the DSM, Hmm. and uh, I don't know specifically I'm, um, but I do know that you can, it, when it is classed in the DSM, it is easier to diagnose, it is easier, easier to treat, it's easier to um, get support for. So if you have that, this is something that comes up over and over again with, with um, classifying disorders and assigning a, dis, a particular disorder to a person, like a mental disorder or a social disorder or like depression or anxiety or anything like that. When you can classify it properly, it's so much easier to get the supports for it. Hmm. So it's um, it's a useful tool. So I think it's very useful for uh, drugs and alcohol in terms of removing stigma and uh, having people feel easier about getting tested and like having a drug test and failing the drug test and, and what the consequences are. There is a, even though it it seems like a very... Uh, punishment-focused process with drug and alcohol. I think that there is the opportunity for fleets to make it more of a uh, supportive process. Interesting. Yeah, because there is a process for if you if you test positive, then you the process is to have a referral to a substance abuse professional. So, hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Which I think is a positive thing, even though everybody thinks of it as, oh, you have to get tested and you, how am I going to fake this test and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a really interesting course once it's done. It is, actually. There's, we have, we've added fetal alcohol syndrome in there. We've added, um, I've only reviewed the alcohol part, so that's why it's <laughs> on top of mind. <laughs> the next thing I have to do after all of this is review the drug part. Huh. The testing hasn't changed. Interesting, yeah. So, You're yawning. How, do you, how are a, you finding a, it interesting it when you're yawning? Instinctive response. No, I, I think it's going to be a cool course. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Okay, good. I do like seeing all of these times that we take an existing course and completely rebuild it. I'm always fascinated by how different it is at the end, especially when the core content doesn't really change that much, but yet you know, different groups of people are involved and y'all come up with your ideas and your new scenarios and new questions and a different order for the content. So it's always really fascinating for me once those things are finished. So you're doing that with drug and alcohol. Now, uh, I, you just did that a couple months ago with the whole border crossing and the CTPAT mm-hmm. inspection stuff. And I know you're also doing that with the whole fatigue and wellness yep. thing. And in fact, is now going to be fatigue plus wellness rather than just a broad wellness course. I think it's actually going to be separate modules for everything. Really? Well, Tiffany came back to me was saying that I can't just put it in one topic. It's it's a two topic thing for just for diet. So what we used to have was we would have diet and exercise. Diet was one topic and exercise was another topic. Mm-hmm. And um, we had one of the mini courses was diet and exercise. But diet has become, um, and it's like ex- diet and exercise. There's It's become a lot more complex. Yeah. 
And that, even fatigue has become so much more complex. So when I wrote it six or seven years ago. Now, that original course was like 2010. Oh, oh. So 10 years ago. Because it came out right around the time that CSA 2010 was a thing. I would have to look at my, I would have to look at my computer for that and see when the files were from, but I believe you. But yeah, yeah. but it's way. That was when there was such a big push on sleep apnea uh, coming out of the CSA stuff. Yeah, sleep apnea is still a thing. It's still a problem. But but. that was 10 years ago. A lot has changed then on the diet side, on the uh, exercise you know, we knew that there was a ton of exercise stuff that was going to need to be added just because of what's available in cabs now. Yes. And so we haven't even gotten to exercise yet. We're still on diet. So that's why I think that each of those modules are going to be their own. Hmm. And they're going to be fine as standalone modules. Interesting. And, you know, rightly so. They should be. I mean, we did it as a whole wellness course because the partner that we were working with wanted it like that's what he pitched and I thought yeah and but now and so many people have put so much work into all of these different things diet and exercise and fatigue that it's not you can't gloss over it anymore glossing over it is is um it it just doesn't give it the the time it's I mean it's more valuable yeah. That information is more valuable. Well, you think about the third part of that old wellness course was the preventing illness and injury. And you had, I think, two, probably 10 or 12 page lessons. I know. Uh, one each on preventing illness and preventing injury. And well, the preventing injury stuff, we've largely covered in other courses now. So we don't really need that as a standalone anymore. Uh, but the illness thing, when you strip that out, it was really basic and it was in a back in a time when just getting people to wash their hands and cover their mouth when they cough or sneeze was a big deal. And as we now know, there's a lot more beyond that and a lot more to cover in the whole, uh, illness prevention topic than just wash your hands. Well, actually kind of. Kind well, of. we've got all of the stuff about keeping the cab clean. Well, yeah. The, okay. So um, my point wasn't that there wasn't more content. There is more content, but washing your hands is still washing yes, your hands. It's I mean, still it's the number still one the number yeah, yeah. That hasn't changed. So that will still be there, but there's all these other things that we're going to add in yeah. and scenarios and more real world examples. And one of the things that I want to do is uh, address what do you do in um, not necessarily for COVID-19 specifically, but what do you do when something like this happens? Where do you get information? How do you get information? Um, You know, if your carrier doesn't have any information or you don't trust it, what do you do? And I think that helping people find the resources, like being able to navigate the CDC website or navigate health Canada or figure out what is a trustworthy place to find information. So you're not going to get it from Buzzfeed. (laughs) You know, you're not going to get it from people magazine. You're going to go to a, usually a government source and something that is updated regularly and always have, you know, find those places, you know, seek out the information and, you know, make sure that you're following basic steps because even I mean, the CDC actually published some guidelines specifically for trucking 
for COVID-19, but they all are really related to the basics. Hmm. So it's nice that they did that. I'm very happy that they have a particular list of things to do, and I will probably use that as a resource for the preventing illness. Um, But those those kinds of um in that that information is is usually in a more generic uh format in a number of different governments hmm. that's, a, that's an interesting point and one that really applies to a lot of other subjects as well because it's the same kind of thing about oh, the diet you're talking about mm-hmm. illness prevention but i'm realizing that you need to stay update on diet stuff as mm-hmm. well you know, what are the best practices? What are the current recommendations? Where do you get information on that? Because you're not going to be getting it from somebody who is producing a bunch of sugary or fatty food products. They're not going to give you good information. Where do you go to get the latest details on that? Or same thing with exercise, best practices on exercise in the cab. Where do you find that information? Well, for diets, what we're trying to do is we're trying to stick to things that are standardized. Hmm. So we're also trying to not look at it from a weight loss point of view at all. Which is so, very different because that's how it was before. Right. It was all about losing weight. Right now we are not, you know, weight loss has become such an industry and it's very personal and there's a billion different ways to do it. So you may be only eating meat or you may not be eating bread or you may be or whatever thing that you want to do, whatever is going to be right for your body. That's fine. But we're not going to be saying this is what you should be doing. What we're doing is we're talking about what um, the WHO or Health Canada or the U.S. government is, is prescribing as a healthy is the healthy basics. These are the things that you need to have because a lot of people don't like, for example, fresh fruits and vegetables. That's the number one thing that people don't have access to. Yeah. That is part of a healthy diet or even the substitution um, of water for sugary drinks. Yeah. I mean that in itself, like some people can put back an immense amount of non watery, like, like, pop and soda and even when it's diet you're still putting caffeine in your body and you're still putting a lot of yeah chemicals in your body so having you trying to replace that stuff with water is one of the healthiest things you can do like just from nothing just try not to drink sugary drinks and i know that you've stopped drinking juice as well Mm you used to drink juice out the yin yang but there's a lot of sugar. Yep. And even though it's natural sugar, it's not like you're buying pre-sweetened juice. You're still putting a lot of sugar into your still body. Yeah. So, um, and I'm the same way as I used to drink. Well, I used to not drink water at all. And I had to start, I used to drink a lot of coffee too, which is terrible. But what you need to do is try and figure out. So to take that habit of drinking coffee all the time, and what am I going to replace it with? So that's kind of the question, or that's the conversation that we're having in the course is how do you replace the ba- the habit, maybe not bad, but the less healthy habit with a better habit? Because replacing a habit is just like so much easier mm-hmm. than stopping. So if you want to stop smoking, replacing the um, your desire to have something in your mouth. Yeah, the physical is, motions. Yeah. Things. 
is much easier. So the same thing with coffee or soda, if you want to stop or if you want to cut down on that, then you replace it with something. So right now, cause I'm, cause I have this, uh, chest infection, coffee is not the greatest for me right now. I, cause mm. I want to get as much liquid through me as possible and coffee is a diuretic. So it, it, you know, basically prevents that. So my, I'm just sucking back the tea mm. and it's a replacement. I mean, it's not as satisfying as coffee is, but I'm okay. I can handle it. And I'm actually, I like the tea. So ginger and turmeric. I used to think it was turmeric, but it's turmeric. Well, there you go. I learned that from TV. You're expanding your horizons. I am. But that replacing thing is, is really powerful when you stop thinking about quitting and you start thinking about replacing. Or changing. Yeah. You're not quitting something. You're just changing it. Yeah. So your body, because it loves a habit, your body is kind of going, eh, okay, rather than going, oh my God, why are you making me stop drinking coffee? Now I'm going to give you a headache for five hours of the day, <laughs> which is what happens if I stop drinking coffee, I get massive caffeine headaches. But if I drink a little bit of coffee and then just replace it with tea, I'm, I've, I'm way better. So anyway, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. And also things like, why do you want to eat? When do you want to eat? Why do you want to eat bad things? So give you the background of why people choose certain things in their diets hmm. and how to make healthier choices. That's cool. Yeah, we want to do a little bit more of the psychology of it because I always find that that's more interesting than saying, this is what you should do. I found that was really interesting when you started doing that with the distracted driving course. And it was about the psychology of distraction and, and how your brain works and why you get distracted. And that kind of information really helps people to understand the bigger picture and that it's not like some personal failing or something yeah. like that. It's not a weakness. It's all of these things coming together that lead to this particular outcome. And you kind of, when you understand something, then you can make better decisions about it. Yeah. So for fatigue, once you understand your circadian rhythm, which is the fact that your body is meant to stay awake during the day and meant to sleep at night, then you can sort of understand why you get fatigued at four in the morning where you can barely, like it's such a struggle to stay awake because your body is doing all all of these things to say, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Unless you have to be up for an early meeting and then it makes you stay awake. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but in natural, like in general, that's how it's supposed to work. And so when you understand that, then you can sort of make decisions about, well, maybe this is when I take my break. Uh, rather, Or maybe I'll change my shift to this or maybe I'll black out my windows while I'm sleeping to sort of um, mimic nights my body is tricked into because actually circadian rhythms are often based on your perception of light hmm. so your body reacts to the amount of light that there is hmm. and makes you sleepy or not sleepy i think that's an interesting distinction in sort of how you're approaching the courses that it's more about giving the people the information so they can make the right decisions or make informed decisions that are the right ones rather than telling them this is the rule and you must do it and not providing any more data and sort of trusting them to make the right decision if you give them all the information. And so here's all the information. 
that leads to that regulation or leads to that decision, you can make your own decision. But once you see why it's all happening like this, you'll probably end up in the same place too. You'll make the right decision. One of the things that I say over and over and over again is that training is never going to make someone change their behavior when they don't want to. Yeah. And so people who send, you know, drivers hit a wall and then they get sent to training, that doesn't mean they're never going to hit that wall again, especially it's never going to make them make them choose a different behavior. It's not going to make them change their behavior if they don't want to change their behavior. My approach is always to not say you should. I was going to say this is this is the best course of action because you're not going to die when you're 35 or, or here are the implications yeah. if you do this. Yeah, and but it's really your decision. And what has to happen is that afterwards if a company or whatever or if yourself even yourself if you want to uh, make sure that people follow a certain path, then there has to be other um, sets of rewards or or methods of of helping people make those choices themselves. Because you can't make people do things if they don't want to do it. So you have to explain to them why it's the best choice to do it. Does that make sense? I'm not explaining it very yeah. well. Well, I've just, I've been thinking about your example of somebody hitting the wall and trying to train them on how they should not hit the wall. That always is the kind of thing that irks me as well is because do you assume that that person didn't know that they shouldn't hit the wall? Also really what's happening here is there's a bunch of decisions that led to that and we would be better off to show that person the implication of those decisions or what those decisions were and let them sort of go through it and say, okay, well, if I actually change this decision um, back three or four steps earlier, it will change the outcome rather than just saying, don't hit the wall. Here's training on how not to hit the wall. Yeah. That, that whole, um, what you used to always say, the, um, avoiding objects or fixed fixed object object things. My apologies. I'm like having really hard time finding words this minute. I don't know why. You don't word good today. I'm not wording good at all. I'm forgetting all my, I'm blanking out on a lot of stuff. So we're in the middle of a podcast and we're talking about training courses and philosophy of how that content should be presented. Your Mm -hmm. name is Jane. Oh, thank you. (laughs) This is episode 47 of the Carrier's Edge podcast. Uh, Where are we? What day is it? It's day 19,000 of the pandemic. Yeah. But anyway, that's uh, I think that's a pretty good place to yeah. end where, where my brain <laughs> Thank went. Thank you. We're here all week. <laughs> where do we go from there anyway, right? Okay. So let's wrap that up then. Okay. We have more things to discuss, but we'll pick them up on our next podcast. Yes, I think so, because uh, we've talked a lot about course development. Do you want to have a little quick you know no, what else we're is wrapping coming it up? up oh we're wrapping it up no okay. that was my teaser for the next episode oh okay so stay that- tuned next time when we'll discuss something else <laughs> I'm sorry I don't know how I'm going to edit this <laughs> it has been a week thanks for listening yes thank have you so much day. for listening bye bye